Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Each week, we deliver informative health and wellness topics you want to know about, so be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you have any questions about content discussed in this episode, ask them at AFSPA Live, our live Q&A session streaming every last Thursday of the month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on youtube.com slash AFSPAcares. Now here's your host, Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. My name is Kyle Longton, and I'm your host. I want to mention and remind you that if you missed our latest AFSPA Live, please go to youtube.com slash AFSPAcares to watch the recording. We had a great conversation about life insurance to wrap up Life Insurance Awareness Month, and some really good questions to, um, came in there. We're fully into fall now, and that means we're getting ready for open season. So please keep an eye on our dedicated open season website, aspa.org slash open season. Um, once that's live, you'll find the latest information we're able to share, including benefits, changes, and 2023 premiums, and our travel schedule for our members overseas. Um, you'll find all of that there on that website. Now, turning to um, today and the rest of this month, uh, most of us know that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And today we are kicking off a month-long focus on breast cancer. That used to mean for many of us wearing pink around the office, receiving information about self-exams, maybe even seeing if we're in the D.C. area, the GW Mama Van coming to your work site for mammograms there on site. Um, could even mean attending seminars about early detection and treatment options. Now, a lot of us are not in the office regularly anymore, so we are hoping to provide some of that information used to get at Brown Bags um, through our webinars and our Ask for Live this month, um, as well as through our podcast. So today, we're going to provide an introduction to breast cancer. What do we mean when we say cancer? What are the risk factors? How do we go about early detection? What treatment options are out there? And when and how to get a second opinion? To walk us through all of this, we are turning once again to our partners at Pinnacle Care, specifically to Melissa Wolf, an assistant medical director at Pinnacle Care and an advanced oncology certified nurse practitioner. She's joining us today. And before I get to her full CV, I want to share that she will also be joining us for the next AFSPA Live on October 27th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So mark your calendar now. Please go ahead and send your questions in if you're not able to attend live or you're not sure. Um, she will be there to answer those questions during AFSPA Live, um, and especially if we don't get them answered during the podcast, but, but please join us for that. Get educated, get your questions answered. Now, a little bit about Melissa. Um, she has served as an assistant medical director with Pinnacle Care since November 2021. Melissa came to Pinnacle Care with over 25 years of nursing experience, the last 15 of which she has worked as a nurse practitioner in hospice, palliative care, and oncology. As a certified oncology nurse practitioner, Melissa provided education and symptom management to patients receiving oncology care, as well as oncology survivors in the outpatient setting for six years, immediately prior to joining Pinnacle. She strongly believes that education and knowledge are the most powerful tools to allow patients and their loved ones to be their own advocates and navigate today's complex healthcare system. And she is excited, and that'll come through in our interview, I think, to join us today to talk about breast cancer basics and to continue that advocacy um, in spreading education and knowledge. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Ask the Talks, Melissa. Thanks, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm so appreciative that you could join us today to, to kick off our month-long focus on um, breast cancer awareness. Um, so I'm going to ask a very basic question to start us off. Um, uh, we're talking about breast cancer, but with cancer in general, what are we talking about? What does that mean when we're talking about cancer? Sure. So cancer in general um, is a disease in which essentially cells grow unregulated. So normal healthy cells have a very, um, a very good process of monitoring their growth. So cells die naturally and new cells are formed. Healthy cells regulate that process very effectively so that our organs remain healthy throughout our entire lives. 
when cancer occurs, um, a mutation has caused that process to go erratic um, and cells multiply and reproduce unchecked, um, essentially then resulting in a tumor formation, which um, you know locally uh, causes pain and disfigurement, ultimately usually results in uh, disruption of that organ function. Um, and then also can, as those cells continue to grow, those cells can travel throughout the body and metastasize to other organ sites as well. So that's cancer in a nutshell. Okay. All right. Um, and obviously when we talk about breast cancer, we're talking about cancer occurring in the breast tissue. Um, or if we're talking about other types of cancer, we're talking about occurring in bones or liver or um, stomach, intestinal, et cetera. Correct. And that's a great point. Um, sometimes when people have a cancer, it has a primary site. So in this case, we're talking about breast cancer being the primary site. But when that cancer spreads um, or becomes metastatic, it can develop in a bone or in the lung or in the brain. That is still breast cancer in those other sites. It is not bone cancer or brain cancer. Um, and that's important to remember that distinction. Okay. Yeah, that that is not that was not something that I had understood. So even as it spreads, it's still breast cancer spreading to other sites. Okay, correct, and that will dictate what kind of treatment options there are, even as it spreads to other sites. Okay. Speaking specifically of breast cancer, then can you share some statistics about prevalence? Um, you know, how how many people are we talking about are diagnosed each year, and and um, are there any specific demographic groups? Um, Sure, absolutely. Breast cancer is the leading cause of cancer in women. Um, We know that it affects one in eight women who live to the age of 90. Um, Based on 2020 statistics, heart disease is still the leading cause of death for women. And among cancer deaths, which are the second leading cause of death for women, lung cancer is the primary cancer related death, breast cancer being the second death-related cancer. Um, In 2022, we anticipate um, uh, American Cancer Society statistics reflect that they anticipate 288,000 new diagnoses of invasive breast cancer among women. Um, And about 2,700 new breast cancer diagnoses in men. Um, That's a category sometimes we don't think about, but it is also something for us to keep in mind that breast cancer certainly can impact men as well. Um, Overall, the incidence of breast cancer has slightly decreased year to year, so decreased by about half of a percent uh, per year since the mid 2000s. And Overall, the death rate, so associated death from cancer, um, has declined by about 42% since the late 1980s. So over the past 40 years, we have seen an overall reduction in deaths related to cancer. Um, Of course, we attribute that to um, increased screening efforts, so regular mammograms, um, awareness of breast cancer programs like this, just sharing education and information about breast cancer, and then of course improved treatments um, have related to have have helped to reduce um, death related to breast cancer as well. However, that said, um, again estimated in 2022, over 43,000 deaths associated with breast cancer. Um, that's about 43,250 estimated women will die from breast cancer and just over 500 men will die from breast cancer in 2022. Wow. And and you're absolutely right. We don't usually think about men as having breast cancer. And it sounds like based on the diagnosis rate and the death rate, that is something that men are maybe not catching as early as women because they're not thinking about it. That's um, a, That's a great point. And it's usually caught later and um, yes, and, and therefore a little bit harder to manage with a pretty significant associated um, death rate. Correct. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, COVID is something that we think about too, with some of these numbers too. We know um, during the height of COVID, um, 
certainly in the, the early stages of it, people were deferring um, some of these routine screenings. And so we know that uh, cancer detections were down. Um, we don't at this point really know, it's kind of conjecture what will come of that because it will take yeah. many years to kind of see the end outcomes of that. Um, the good news is that those numbers in terms of routine screenings are back at their normal levels. So we do think that most people are back on track with that. But if, you know, certainly someone who has kind of put that aside, it is very safe um, to go to these, um, to, to get your mammogram. Um, you know, they're all still following precautions and it is certainly recommended to stay on track with your routine, not only mammograms, but cancer screenings, colonoscopies um, as well. Okay. And I want to come back to some of those those ways for um, the early detection, the mammograms and so forth. But before we get to that, can you talk about risk factors for breast cancer? Are, are there certain factors that put somebody at a higher risk? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is really important, again, when we're talking about breast cancer awareness um, for women and men, um, to be aware of those factors that they might individually have that make them at higher risk um, for developing a breast cancer. Um, so there's kind of two categories of risk factors. Those are ones that are not modifiable. So things that we really can't do anything about, we can't change, um, and then modifiable risk factors. So not modifiable risk factors, um, primary being age. Um, we know that with, as with most cancers, as we age, our risk of cancer increases. Um, we mentioned already that one in eight women, should they live to the age of 90, will be, um, will, will have a breast cancer diagnosis. So the total lifetime risk of developing a breast cancer is about 12%. Under the age of 50, um, for women to develop breast cancer, that risk is about 2% and then gradually increases through the decades. So 50 to 59, you're at about two and a half percent in the sixties, about three and a half percent. And then above the age of 70, it's about a 7% um, risk of developing breast cancer. So you can see as it gradually staircases as we age. Um, the second uh, really not modifiable risk factor is our um, female sex. So we mentioned that men also develop breast cancer. It is much less common. In fact, women have 100 times the uh, frequency of breast cancer that men do. So that's an obvious. Um, race. So studies have shown us that um, breast cancer is overall more prevalent um, among Caucasians, although cancer among um, although breast cancer is the most common cancer among every racial group. So um, in terms of experiencing breast cancer, um, some differences among the African-American community that we have seen, studies have shown that um, African-Americans typically present at a more advanced stage mm. um, and uh, also tend to have higher rates of uh, a young diagnosis of breast cancer, so breast cancer diagnosed under the age of 40, which tends to be a little more of an aggressive uh, type of cancer, okay. and also a little higher incidence of um, what's called triple negative breast cancer, which we'll talk a bit about different kinds of breast cancer, but triple negative also tends to be a little more aggressive. So that said, we do see a slightly higher mortality rate among African-Americans um, as compared to other racial groups. So another, another push, um, yeah. you know, definitely just to, to be really watchful and mindful about your screening, um, having regular, not only self exams, but breast exams with your physician, or it's also really important too, because the earlier we do know, the earlier that we catch these breast cancers, um, they are more treatable and we have better outcomes, certainly. Okay. Um, some other not modifiable uh, factors, family history. Um, so we do know that if you have two or more first degree relatives, so mother or sister um, with breast cancer, your, your risk is increased threefold. And that is an even higher risk if that person was diagnosed under the age of 30. So again, that, oh. that early onset breast cancer does tend to be pretty aggressive and something to be um, aware of in your family history. Um, 
along, along with family history are some genetic predispositions. We have heard a lot about BRCA, BRCA mutations. Um, and that is a genetic mutation that is inherited um, that puts people at a higher risk for breast cancer. So um, BRCA mutations are associated with higher incidence of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and prostate cancer. Um, so if that's something that you know, you have strong family history of all of those things, um, it is something worth talking to your physician as to whether you should be tested. Um, if you are a BRCA carrier, um, there are different screening um, recommendations for you. Um, there is also sometimes the discussion of having a prophylactic mastectomy to prevent breast cancer occurrence. Um, so these are all things to talk about your physician if you know that that's, talk with your physician about if you know that that is part of your own personal history. Um, BRCA mutations are very rare um, and overall are related to only about 6% of breast cancer occurrences. Um, but certainly strong, um, strong risk factor for breast cancer if you have that mutation. Um, another not modifiable um, risk factor is um, height. Um, this is something that we're seeing some studies on. Um, women who are over five foot nine have actually a 20% higher incidence of breast cancer. Wow. Than women who are under five foot three. So um, this is something that is still being studied. Not sure how to explain it, but the data shows um, pretty significant differences. Um, so again, if you're um, a taller person, just something to be aware of in your history um, that you potentially could have a little higher risk for breast cancer. Um, having had benign breast conditions, so something like an atypical hyperplasia, that's something that is benign at the time of diagnosis, something that could be picked up on a mammogram, um, but could put you at higher risk for later developing a breast cancer. So again, be aware of in your history and talk with your doctor. Um, dense breast tissue is something that puts women at higher risk for breast cancer as well. And then, uh, folks who may have had a prior, um, cancer diagnosis like lymphoma and may have received radiation to the chest area, um, they would also be at higher risk for breast cancer. So those are some of the not modifiable um, risk factors that um, people should be aware of. When we talk about modifiable risk factors, now these are something that we can be aware of and potentially try to do something, um, you know, in terms of modifying our behaviors um, to lower our risk. Um, the first being overweight, um, but interestingly, um, being overweight or obese only increases your risk if you're postmenopausal. So, actually, some studies show that being overweight premenopausal is somewhat protective of breast cancer. They might have a slightly lower incidence. Again, we don't know all the answers there, right. but that's what the numbers show. However, after menopause, um, women who are overweight or obese do have a higher risk of um, hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Um, this does make sense in terms of, you think about menopause where the ovaries have stopped functioning, overall circulating hormones are lower. However, fat, fat cells create estrogen. So women who are overweight postmenopausal naturally have higher estrogen levels, and that would then certainly under, or explain um, why that puts them at higher risk for breast cancer. So we recommend, um, you know, trying to watch your weight, healthy diet, keep your weight at a healthy level to reduce that risk. Um, hormonal therapy, um, commonly used for menopause, um, was something that was quite popular about maybe 20 years ago. I think um, different studies recently have shown some different risks associated with it. One of those being breast cancer, and that certainly we can understand that higher hormone level developing breast cancer. Um, hormonal therapy has also been linked to higher incidence of heart disease and stroke. So um, we're seeing it used less overall, but that again, if you're someone who is considering that, um, typically it is used because the symptoms and side effects of menopause can be so difficult for some people. Um, but this is something to have a, a, a real discussion with your physician about um, pros and cons of 
thinking about a treatment such as hormone therapy and menopause. Um, alcohol consumption. Um, we know that even one drink a day increases the risk of breast cancer by about 10%. Um, and folks who drink up to two to three drinks a day have even a much higher risk of about 20% higher incidence of breast cancer. So mm. that certainly is something we try to recommend. One drink a day for, for females is, is kind of the, the max and certainly drinking less um, is better for your body too. Okay. Um, physical inactivity um, is is related to a higher incidence of breast cancer. So we do recommend, you know, about 30 days of cardio, 30 days, 30 minutes of cardio every day um, uh, for, for lots of different reasons. But we certainly know um, in with the, the relation to breast cancer probably um, is secondary to better regulation of your hormones, not only estrogen, progesterone, but also insulin regulation. Um, and so that reduces your risk of cancer in that fashion. Um, some other risk factors that I think we sometimes hear about or have seen um, that have that's that to date studies have not shown a risk um, associated with breast cancer are things such as deodorant. There was some um, talk that oh, use of deodorant could be related to this. higher incidence mm -hmm. um, that has not been proven. Um, abortion, there, that's been something that has been thrown out there, either spontaneous or induced, is not related to a higher incidence in breast cancer. Um, caffeine, um, the jury's still out on that, and there's not definitive evidence that that is related to a higher um, risk of implant or, or uh, risk of. Sorry. Of <laughs> uh, uh, breast cancer? Caffeine, yes, thank you. Sure. Caffeine yeah, is not, I remember um, hearing about that too. Not proven to be related to a higher yeah. risk of breast cancer. Um, breast implants, um, some some talk about that, but no 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 correlation there. Um, and uh, hair dye, I think that goes in the same category as the deodorant, but wow. nothing nothing related there too. So sometimes you might hear these things, but um, to date, um, we don't we don't have any definitive evidence that those increase your risk of breast cancer. I, I appreciate that because sort of dispelling the myths around things like breast implants, hair dye, deodorant, et cetera. Like the, right. there's so much of this out there. Um, right. And so, I mean, everybody has to make their own decisions and be comfortable yeah. with the decisions that they make. But, you know, the Internet, for as wonderful as it is, I think <laughs> sometimes it also allows us to to gather information that maybe isn't um, quite verified. So, um, you know, just just to kind of throw out there that that's. The, the latest information um, that we have on that. One thing that I did not mention was um, in, in terms of, I don't know if you'd call this a modifiable or a not modifiable, but um, childbirth um, is um, something that is associated. So women who have either never had a child or had a child after the, had a, their first child after the age of 30, um, they do have a slightly higher risk of uh, breast cancer too. So having had a child is protective for breast cancer. And along those lines, breastfeeding. Mm. Um, so women who have breastfed for a total of over of, of a year or, or more um, have about a four and a half percent lower incidence of breast cancer. So breastfeeding is also protective um, for the development of breast cancer, so. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that because there that there those are other things that you hear and you're not sure how much credence to give them and um and and I appreciate you relying on the studies and the statistics and what's correlated. Not necessarily can't necessarily point to causation on all of these, but there's definitely exactly correlation. Exactly. Exactly. Right. What, some data what, to back it up. Yeah. And and so we talked you've mentioned several times the importance of uh, getting regular mammograms and mm -hmm. breast exams and so forth. Can you go a little bit further into that? And if there's anything that we're missing, how can people actively monitor the possibility of breast cancer and, and early detection? Sure. Well, at the most simplest stage, um, knowing your body. So um, having regular uh, self breast exams, um, we don't, we, you know, we, we can't say definitively that this has helped us to diagnose, but certainly knowing changes in your body gets you to that doctor sooner, gets you to have screening sooner, um, you know, is, is just that first chance to um, raise concern or find something that's different. Um, so other than regular self-breast exam, 
having a regular physician checkup. So, um, you know, younger women should be seeing their GYN annually and that breast exam can be done part of that visit. Um, older women are likely seeing primary care um, on a regular basis as well. And breast exam can certainly be done as part of that visit. American Cancer Society recommendations um, currently say that uh, breast mammograms, so screening mammograms should begin at the age of 45. Um, there are Previously, recommendations had said 40. Um, so right now, American Cancer Society says that's a decision that should be made between patient and their provider um, as to whether you start at 40 or 45. But essentially, starting at 45 and then annually from there um, is the current recommendations from American Cancer Society. Um, now, women who have a higher risk, so whether that's that strong family history or the BRCA mutation or some other genetic mutation that could put them at a higher risk for breast cancer um, may start screening much earlier, sometimes mm -hmm. even age 30, sometimes even younger than that, depends on their history. Um, but for the average woman um, starting annual mammograms between the age of 40 and 45 is the recommendation. And then mammograms should continue um, you know, it, as, as long as there's still values. So as long as you're healthy um, and your life expectancy is greater than 10 years, you really should be having an ongoing um, breast mammogram. Now, once you get to about 55, certainly by 60, the frequency can cut back to every other year. Um, <clears throat> but again, that's a discussion and decision that should be made between patient and physician. So that's just the routine mammogram. Some people are concerned about having regular mammograms. They worry about um, radiation exposure. Um, there is very, very low level radiation associated with a mammogram and it has not been shown to improve or to increase rather um, rates of breast cancer. So please do not avoid mammogram out of fear of radiation exposure. Um, that exposure is very low. Okay. Um, False negatives, false positives, yes, they can occur. Um, but again, overall, we know that mammograms are very valuable. About 12% of mammograms show abnormal results, what is um, hopefully encouraging. And um, people should know if they have this very scary experience where you get a call back from your mammogram, only about 4% of those abnormal results turn out to be cancer. So um, again, very low incidence but we need to be sure that we're out there looking and, and if there's something abnormal that we're working that up and making sure that if we can get to treating this cancer early, we have much better outcomes. So super important. Um, other imaging MRI is sometimes used for some women. Um, that's typically used for those higher risk scenarios. Um, it gives a little additional and a, a little different kind of viewing of the breast tissue itself. Um, so that is not something that's done as a routine screening, but sometimes done as a follow-up to a mammogram or in a scenario with a woman who has a very high risk history. Um, the latest technology in terms of screening is the 3D uh, mammogram. Um, definitely this is recommended. Uh, I think studies have certainly proven that it does give um, a better view. Any radiologist would say to you, yes, if you can get a 3D mammogram, do that. Um, I think some insurances might still not cover that. So that's something just to check before you go for your routine screening. Um, but the 3D uh, mammogram certainly does give better images. And that has been shown to, to being associated with fewer callback mammograms, which again is one of those very scary scenarios that we'd love to avoid. So if you can just get the 3D mammogram um, at the outset, I, we, we do find that to be more, more valuable. Um, and yeah, so that's screening. That's, and I think that's great. I, I remember this is back in the nineties growing up. We had a chart, a little hanger on the shower, um, that on one <laughs> side had the breast self exam. And I think on the right. other had the testicular exam, right. um, for yeah. something for everybody in the house to, to check out. So, um, that th those, these are very accessible screenings and uh, that you can do yourself at home and then include the annual visit. And, and I appreciate that we're still seeing advances. You mentioned the 3d mammography, um, mm -hmm. is, is the latest out there. Um, and, and, you know, folks continue to find out what, uh, might work best for them. Absolutely. Thank, 
You mentioned it is a very, very small percentage of abnormal mammograms that that actually come back in our cancer. That actually turn back, come back as confirming as cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we often talk and and I say we, as, as those of us who are not clinicians, um, we, we talk about breast cancer as if it's a single thing, breast cancer. And you mentioned before that is not the case. Yes. Um, that there there are uh, different types of breast cancer. Can can you give us an idea of of some of the different types or, or what what people may sure. hear during that diagnosis situation? Sure. And I think this is so important to talk about because again, our natural inclination, you hear that word breast cancer, and you immediately think about what are your past experiences with that, right? Who else have you known who's had breast cancer? Your friend just went through treatment, your mother had it, um, you know, whatever. We, we start to immediately relate ourselves to other people's experiences. And as much as that certainly is going to be useful just to have, um, you know, a treatment buddy or someone to kind of walk through this process with you, I would just always caution people to never, um, Never, never directly compare your situation to anybody else's because there are so many different types of breast cancer, so many varied scenarios, um, so many factors that go into the uh, the recommendations for treatment. Um, so breast cancer is not a one term covers all. There are many different types. Um, the breast, otherwise um, known as the mammary gland, its function is to produce breast milk. Um, and the breast itself has three main types of tissue, um, connective tissue and fatty tissue, um, it's kind of the filler. Um, and then this, the cellular components are lobules, which actually make the breast milk and then ducts, which carry the breast milk from the lobule out through the nipple. Um, most of the invasive breast cancers occur in the lobule or the ducts. Um, so you hear the terms invasive lobular breast cancer, invasive ductal breast cancer. That's the most con- most common type of breast cancer that we see. Um, taking that one step further, there is another type of what we refer to almost as a pre-breast cancer. It's referred to as DCIS. It's ductal carcinoma in situ. The interesting thing about this term is that um, DCIS is a cancer, cancer cells that are in the duct, but this type of cancer does not invade. So it doesn't move out into the other tissue. It stays within the duct. Um, So while it is a cancer, um, it is a very early um, or almost like a a pre-cancer. It's typically treated with surgery and radiation but it is not the kind of cancer that's going to spread anywhere else, not anywhere else in the breast and not anywhere else in the body. Um, So it's kind of a confined confined cancer. So that's DCIS and it's referred to as a stage zero cancer. Hmm. So going back to the invasive cancers, invasive lobular, invasive ductal cancer, um, again, being the most common types of um, breast cancer, Other types of breast cancer um, that we do see, um, inflammatory breast cancer. Um, This presents typically as a, a, literally as a red inflamed breast, tends to be a little more aggressive. It's very rare, about 5% of the breast cancers are inflammatory type cancer. Paget's disease is a type of breast cancer that um, affects just the nipple and the area around the nipple. Um, this occurs in about 3% of breast cancer cases, again, very rare. And then angiosarcoma, um, is another kind of, uh, cancer that can develop in the breast. This is cancer that, um, originates in the blood vessels and the lymph vessels in the, in the breast. Um, again, very aggressive and very rare. It accounts for about 1% of breast cancer diagnoses. Um, So again, um, when you have this diagnosis of breast cancer, pathology is typically going to look at the cell it's originating in. So the lobules or the ducts. Um, It's also going to look at some of the proteins or the genes that are associated with it. We talk a lot about hormone um, related breast cancers. So um, every breast cancer is test, uh, there's testing done for uh, estrogen receptors and progesterone receptors. 
this hormone related cancer, it feeds off of those hormones. The cancer needs those hormones to grow. So it's very important in terms of how we look at treatment options. So every breast cancer is going to be either ER or PR positive or negative. Um, and then another gene that we're looking for is called HER2. Um, this is something that was identified mm, probably now about 30 years ago um, and really revolutionized how we treat that certain group of cancers that are HER2 positive. There's a whole class of drugs just for that, for that type of drug. So those, those are some of the additional testing. Anytime somebody has breast cancer diagnosis, one of the first questions is, is it ER, PR positive, and what is the HER2 positivity? Other things that pathology is looking at is the grading of the cancer. So on a uh, one to three scale, one being um, the, the least different looking from a normal cell. So how, how bizarre is this cell looking? How different does it look? Grade one, most most like a normal cell. Grade three, very different, looks very, very unusual. And that impacts, um, reflects, again, the aggressiveness of the cancer. So higher grade, more aggressive, lower grade tends to be um, a, a, little less, um, a little less aggressive. Okay. Um, all of this information is used then for us to look at staging. So let's talk about staging. So breast okay. cancer staging um, is going to range from stage zero to stage four. Um, stage zero being what we talked earlier about the DCIS. It is um, very localized, does not invade into surrounding tissue, um, and usually uh, managed with surgery, radiation, and possibly hormonal therapy. Stage one through four is the staging that we use to um, address invasive cancers. Um, this is the, and, and you arrive at the staging based on the size of the tumor itself, whether any lymph nodes are involved, and if the cancer has spread distantly or metastasized to other areas of the body, that is a stage four cancer. Um, so those stage one through three cancers, um, those are the, the that, we then use that staging to define how we treat it. And that's usually the combination of surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, hormonal therapy, depending on other factors um, of the cancer itself. Okay. Well, and, and, and I think, you know, talking about treatment, um, right. I think that my, my mindset, maybe many others is that there are three, and actually you just mentioned four, but three sort of main treatments, which is, for breast cancer, mastectomy or, or mm -hmm. surgery, maybe just to remove a particular lump, uh, chemotherapy and radiation. But it sounds like there are other treatments, including the hormonal treatment you mentioned before. Um, sure. I know there's new uh, targeted treatments that are out there for specific types. Are, are you able to give us a little bit of information about some of those those treatment options? So absolutely. So in terms of treatment of breast cancer, um, early stage breast cancer is usually going to have a combination of therapies. So surgery, radiation, um, chemotherapy, metastatic disease, um, is primarily treated with systemic therapy alone. Um, we do know that there's not added benefit in the metastatic scenario to having surgery when cancer has spread to other parts of the body. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of a different category. With early stage disease, um, you know, 40 years ago, everyone had a mastectomy and that was it, right? Um, we, have, we have made great strides in terms of treatment options for breast cancer. Um, and it really, these days, um, mastectomy is very less and less common. Um, and, and even in terms of surgery, we often try to look at what's called breast conserving surgery. Um, where we can do a much less invasive surgery um, that has not only benefits of less surgical um, risk itself, but also better cosmetic outcomes for women post-surgical. Um, and so sometimes that means that we give chemotherapy prior to surgery, um, and that can help to shrink down the tumor, not only treat systemically as well, but shrink down that tumor. So then when we go to surgery, there's a, a less invasive surgery can be effective. Um, 
many times in those scenarios, then radiation is offered after the fact um, so that we can be sure that that surgical bed is clear of any residual disease as well. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about hormonal makeup um, of the tumor itself. And if we know that this is a hormonal breast cancer, so a hormone receptor positive breast cancer, um, women after they have had treatment for the cancer, so they've had their surgery, had their chemotherapy, had their radiation, uh, women with a hormone receptor positive cancer will be given um, hormone therapy um, after completion of treatment. And that's up for 10, up to 10 years after completion oh. of treatment. And the purpose of that is really to reduce the risk of a breast cancer recurrence. Um, so many times women get through treatment and they're so excited. And then we say, well, but there's one more thing you got to do. And it really is important though, because it does um, reduce the risk of breast cancer recurrence um, after, you know, after that first diagnosis. So that is um, something that we see a lot of as well. Other kind of new treatments, um, targeted therapies. So we talked about that HER2 um, gene. And that's something that really has revolutionized um, treatment. HER2 um, positive breast cancer was something historically that was a pretty aggressive uh, cancer and didn't always respond very well to chemotherapy alone. Okay. Um, in the past 30 years, there has been development of uh, targeted therapy. Herceptin um, and Pergetta are some of the drugs that we use that are HER2 targeted. Um, and that therapy usually. Um, uh, goes on for about a year. So it's a long time that women are receiving that therapy, but again, um, very effective in terms of eradicating the cancer and um, preventing um, recurrence of that HER2 um, positive breast cancer. So seeing great strides there. Um, and then in terms of uh, metastatic disease, there's other genes that we have identified um, and other treatment options for women in the metastatic set, uh, setting that have had great improvements of outcomes and um, disease survival. So every day we're, we're you know, coming up with new treatment options, but there's a lot of things um, that have uh, been introduced in the past 10 years and uh, new treatments on the horizon that are really, really positive. Um, lastly, Im immunotherapy is something that we hear a lot about in terms of cancer treatment. Um, the only, um, the, the scenario that we're seeing immunotherapy used right now is with triple negative breast cancer. Um, so that's a cancer that is not hormone uh, receptor positive, so has no estrogen receptor or progesterone receptors and is not HER2 positive. So that's, that's, that's what means triple negative. Again, this tends to be a little more of an aggressive cancer. Um, and immunotherapy is actually now indicated in the first line treatment um, in combination with chemotherapy um, for um, some of those scenarios for women being treated for triple triple negative breast cancer. So immunotherapy is making its way into the breast cancer world. Um, but currently that's, um, that's the only frontline scenario that we're using it. There are some metastatic options down the line, but um, we're starting to see that in, in breast cancer as well. So lots of exciting new treatments that are really effective and have really changed the treatment scenario for women um, living with breast cancer. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. It's, it's, not um not a death sentence it doesn't as you said doesn't necessarily mean that that someone with breast cancer is going to lose their breasts either yes. um yes. yeah doesn't even with that even with all the options doesn't mean that that hearing a doctor say that you have cancer is an easy experience it's it's quite frightening i think um that that any one of the most frightening things many of us can imagine of course um because of the seriousness of, uh, of breast cancer, any cancer diagnosis, and the side effects of various treatments, a lot of people may want to look at a, a second opinion. Um, what? Why might somebody seek a second opinion? What? What might come of that? Um, so, a second opinion is is a very valuable tool that patients should use. Um, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or a serious chronic illness that you're living with, second opinions are are, are really invaluable. Um, that is something that uh, at Pinnacle Care we can we can help um, our clients with. Um, we can help to facilitate a second opinion with top national cancer centers. Um, 
Sometimes that involves having a second opinion review of pathology or imaging. Hmm. Um, really crucial to make sure we have the right diagnosis, make sure that this imaging really does show progression or maybe it doesn't. Um, so sometimes having second eyes on pathology and imaging can change staging, can change treatment options. Um, so that's one really important piece of it. And then secondly, just what is the planned treatment? Um, and accessing top specialists, um, these are the physicians who are the researchers, you know, they, they are doing that cutting edge work. Um, they are most knowledgeable about what the latest um, data is showing, what the latest FDA approvals, you know, are, or what's coming down the line in a month. Um, that is how you can really access cutting edge um, top care um, for yourself or your loved one. And that is um, a role that we can help to, uh, a service that we can help to facilitate and provide for our clients um, through Pinnacle Care. I would say um, our services can go certainly far beyond just the second opinion though as well. Um, and we certainly want to be there to support um, people as they are getting a new diagnosis, um, understanding what does this mean? Um, like we said before, we, we try to encourage you not to directly compare yourself to someone else's scenario. So what does this diagnosis mean for you? Um, so we want to support people. Healthcare is a, is a scary, crazy system. Um, it's, it's sometimes very hard to navigate. It's very hard to get appointments or know who you're supposed to be seeing. So we can help from that very first diagnosis. Um, truly, we can help, you know, the person who finds a breast lump in the shower, um, you know, what do I do? And we could help walk through that process. So our advisors are there to kind of understand where you are in the journey, um, talk with our medical directors about what options are, make sure the workup has been appropriate to date, make sure that you're seeing the correct specialist. Do you need to see a radiation oncologist? Do you need to see a surgeon? Um, and just kind of being your, your quarterback there, just to make sure that you're getting to the right people, to the right places. Um, and when treatment options are discussed, then having that option to have a second opinion from a top national cancer center, um, again, to make sure we're working with the right diagnosis, the imaging is all correct, um, staging is all correct, um, and that you're being uh, offered the best treatments, um, most current treatments available to you. Um, I think is really invaluable. And we certainly, um, you know, have seen where diagnoses can change, the staging mm -hmm. can change, um, and that has big impact on options available to patients. So um, it, it's, it's really, I think, a valuable service that can help you to be certain that you are receiving um, the best care. It doesn't mean that you have to transfer your care to another place. Um, this is meant to work with your current provider. Um, so it's, it's a tool that you can use with your current provider um, to assure that you're receiving the best care possible. Absolutely. It can just uh, particularly provide that assurance um, that, that things are as they, your doctor said they are and that, that you're on the right course. Uh, Absolutely. Of treatment. It, Absolutely. And, and this is sort of a minor question of that, but is there a, a T point in time or sort of a point in the process when it's most beneficial for people to engage with pinnacle care? Is it any time in the process? Is it best if they do it as soon as they get the diagnosis before they're being treated? Right. Great, great question. I mean, I, I think that's probably very individual, um, but I want people to know that we are available to them at any time in the process. So um, as I mentioned, you know, Earliest would be, you know, you take a shower and you find something funny and I'm not sure what I should do, right? You can call us um, and we could help walk through that scenario, get you to primary care, get you, make sure you get that mammogram, whatever it is that you need to do, um, and then walk you through the, 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 the process the rest of the way. So um, whenever there's question or doubt, I, I, I want us to be available um, to our clients to help them navigate the system and, and, and feel confident in the care that they're getting. All right. Melissa, I, in, in my outro, I'll, I'll provide information on how um, our FSBP members um, can contact Pinnacle Care and um, take advantage of 
everything that you've outlined um, for for the for cancer or other diagnoses they may have. But before I get to that, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners um, about anything we've discussed today? Sure. I mean, I, I think the the biggest takeaway point is um, in Breast Cancer Awareness Month um, is 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 to be aware of your own personal risk factors and to make sure that you're getting your regular screening, whether that's an annual mammogram or regular self-exams or regular physician follow-up and exam. Um, it's it's really important. Cancer, of course, is the most scary thing that you can hear. And I know sometimes people think, oh, if I somewhat ignore it, <laughs> um, I, I won't have to deal with it. But we, we um, certainly know that early diagnosis um, leads to better treatment options and certainly better outcomes. Um, so if you're scared, if you're not sure, come turn to us for that support. Um, Pinnacle can help support you at that time and, and make sure that you're getting to the right doctors and you're, and you're, and you're doing the right things. Um, we, we are there to guide you through this healthcare process, but encourage you to to be proactive um, and take care of yourself with these um, these screening options. I think that's a, a great reminder and a, a great place for us to leave it for today. So Melissa Wolf um, uh, from Pinnacle Care, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of AFSA Talks. My pleasure. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks again to Melissa Wolf for joining us today. To learn more about AFSA's cancer management programs for members of the Foreign Service Benefit Plan, and to learn more about Pinnacle Care, you can call one of our uh, nurse care managers at 1-800-593-2354. They can provide you information about the various programs that are available to you. They can also do a live transfer to the Pinnacle Care group um, to start that process of a second opinion or just further education with them. I encourage you to take advantage of that if you're facing a cancer diagnosis or any serious diagnosis um, don't hesitate to use that service. This has been AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and do not necessarily represent AFSPA. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in the podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by AFSPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to Ask the Talks to catch our next episode. Please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and share feedback with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Search for Ask for Cares. I'll see you next time.